Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the need of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sean. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning as we begin a new sermon series. And I just want to, uh, I'll give another shout out at the conclusion of the service, but there are a lot of pumpkins across the street. Uh, and we want to invite you to be a part uh, as a partner in ministry for the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. And in the gym after worship, uh, there are tons of books uh, that will all go to uh, benefit the, as the proceeds uh, to our uh, preschool. And so we want to invite you to be a part of those two things uh, this morning. But as we begin a new sermon series, uh, Growing Gratitude, will you pray with me? Holy and gracious and living God, we give you thanks for this day, a day that you have created and we rejoice and we are glad in it. And God, we pray that we might hear uh, the words that you have in store for us this morning. Not just poke us, prod us to continue to follow you in all that we say and all that we do. May our heart, oh God, be in line with your heart. May our words be in line with your words, and may our steps be in line with your steps. God, we pray this in the mighty name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And together, all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, so for the first two decades of my life, I lived on my family's apple farm in northeastern Ohio. We didn't just grow apples. We grew corn and raspberries and pumpkins as well. But the primary crop was apples. At one point on the 150-acre farm, we had over 5,000 apple trees. There were different uh, varieties, uh, different exocarp pigmentations or different flesh. Uh, we also had differing apples by taste and texture and even varieties that had different ripening dates. Did you know that apples don't all ripen as you go to the grocery store, right? Did you know that? Okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. Every day, my grandfather would go down and walk through the orchard. Every morning, he embodied the informal slogan for the United States Postal Service that neither snow nor rain nor sleet nor heat nor gloom 
shall keep these couriers from his from their appointed rounds, the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Nothing would keep him from walking through the orchard each and every day. This was his time to give thanks to God for the gift of good and fertile soil, to give thanks to God for this gift of life and life abundant, and to give thanks to God for the gift of God's promises and presence. As he would stroll through the orchard, he would sing the songs of the faith. He had this beautiful baritone voice, which I did not inherit. So if you hear something uh, like an unjoyful noise, but every noise is a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen? Maybe not to our ears, uh, especially uh, like me. I sing the cracks between the keys, okay? But my grandfather had this beautiful baritone voice, and every time that he would walk through the orchard in the morning, he would sing the songs of the faith, especially the songs that uh, they had sung the previous Sunday in worship. But every time he got to a certain point on the main road of the orchard, going back up to the apple house to start the day, he would stop. It was halfway up the road, and he would turn around, and he would look at the entirety of the orchard. And he would sing uh, the line from hymn 707, which in case you don't know and haven't memorized, it's okay. 707 is hymn of promise. And the words go like this. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree. In cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until it's seasoned, something God alone can see. Every morning as he would sing that part of 707, it was a reminder for him and an acknowledgement of the amazing beauty of God in creation. But it also assured him that no matter what he did or did not do, no matter what the orchard crew did or did not do, That God was still going to be up to something. Maybe they pruned too hard or didn't prune enough. Maybe they cut the pastures too low or too high. And maybe they just left the pastures go. But God was still going to be up to something no matter what. Amen? And that is our prayer for our lives today and always. Amen? As we begin this new sermon series, Growing Gratitude, we'll look at our values and our virtues and our priorities and see how they are connected together. And over the next few weeks, we'll look at how being grateful shapes us, who we are, and changes who God calls us to be. How do we live that out, being grateful for what God has given to us? It changes how we interact with others, our family, our friends. There's a quote that's famously attributed to a guy named Zig Ziglar, and this is a real dude, okay? Do you know who Zig Ziglar is? Write it in the chat. I'm glad you know because I had to look him up. Uh, I didn't really think that he was real. Anyways, uh, but he was a motivational speaker and an author, and he passed away a couple years ago. But his quote says this, of all the attitudes that we can acquire, surely the attitude of gratitude is the most important and by far the most life-changing. Listen, Paul nor Jesus ever said those exact words, but having an attitude of gratitude has been a part of our tradition as both Jewish followers of Jesus and as Christian followers of Jesus for years, for centuries, as part of worship. We heard those words that Pastor Donovan said this morning and Pastor and myself said uh, as we were gathering online, that centering moment, Psalm 100, right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise for the Lord is good and his steadfast love. Listen, you're getting it. That's great. And 
The scripture says his faithfulness is to all generations. Living with an attitude of gratitude changes us. It changes what we value. It changes what is important to us. And it changes what we give our life to. What kind of person we become. And that's important because the kind of person that we become is related to our treasure, right? Where we devote our time, our talents, and our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. Earlier this year, my family and I decided to put our treasure in some uh, investments, right? Uh, we decided to start a backyard garden. Do any of you guys have a garden in your backyard? Maybe in your front yard, your side yard? Uh, okay, great. Uh, you, you at least know what I'm talking about, a backyard garden. So my son Xavier and I, we went to Lowe's. We bought all the supplies that we needed, and uh, we came to the little section where there's seeds, seeds for purchase. And he wanted to buy the package that that was going to produce the biggest fruit. And I didn't. But I obliged. He's five years old. He wanted to get those mammoth beefsteak tomatoes. He wanted to get the largest watermelons possible. He didn't care if it was sweet or sour. He just wanted to get the big stuff. And so we bought tons and tons of seed. We grew pumpkins and sunflowers and corn and onions and potatoes. And I was trying to teach him about farming just a little bit so I could pass that on to him. The tomatoes and the peppers turned out to be crazy. And I'll tell you a little bit about them. From the pepper plant, we bought one package, okay? One little package of peppers. And did you know that this past year there was a thing called Peppergate? Yeah? Yeah? No? Nobody. Great. Seriously. All right. Anyways, look up Peppergate when you get home. But some folks have experienced the seeds that they have planted were nothing of the seeds that were on the actual package. It was something drastically different. And as I read on social media and read on the Internet, I found out that I was in good company because many people had experienced this Peppergate kind of thing. All from one package. Ready for this? Jalapenos, Hungarian wax peppers, all from bell pepper packages too. Hungarian <laughs> wax peppers, banana peppers, pimentos, jalapenos, again, all from one package. And we even got the bell peppers that we were supposed to get, but we even got a very sought after variety of bell peppers. It's called a chocolate pepper. Have you ever had one? Don't waste your time, okay? <laughs> It tastes nothing like chocolate. It's brown. It's a little bit sweeter. It's brown like chocolate, but do not be fooled because it is nothing like chocolate. Okay? Don't waste your time. Our garden came alive for us this past year, and it made that hymn that my grandfather used to sing, meandering through the orchards, come alive, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Amen? Through it all, even chocolate peppers and weird peppers and whatever, we gave thanks to God for the bountiful harvest. In today's scripture passage from 2 Corinthians 9, and if you have your Bibles, uh, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll start with verse 6. I want to give you a little context, though. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian Christians. This is also called the Corinthian Correspondence, or... Uh, 
just a letter, right? Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And if you know anything about Corinth, it was a wealthy trade city in the Middle East. They had a very lucrative practice and lucrative business. So by... It's very possible that Corinth was a a very lucrative place for Christians to come and make a living. And so it was a very prosperous area. And so Paul is writing to them. And he says that the Jerusalem church is not doing well financially. They can't care for their members. They can't care for their community. And so Paul uh, reaches out to the rest of the Christian church at the time. And he says, listen... The Jerusalem church has been plagued by famine, plagued by persecution, and we need your help. We need your help feeding and caring for the orphans and the widows, no matter if they are Jew or Gentile. So Paul was inviting them to step up their gift giving. And it was an opportunity to make a real difference in folks' lives. Earlier in this letter, not Second Corinthians 8, Paul was urging them to remember, remember the pledge that they had already done to give to this project, to finish the work that they started. He doesn't want them to drop the ball. He wants the Corinthian church to think about what is motivating them and where their hearts are. And so Paul begins this farming metaphor, 2 Corinthians 9. It says this, the point is this, that's Paul, not me, okay? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever bows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's that old adage, right? That you reap what you sow. And that's the way that life works, right? Regardless of the situation or the issues at hand, we will reap what we sow. The more time, the more energy, the more resources that we invest in someone or something, the more skilled we get in the activity, the better we get to know the person. And the truth is there is a a choice for us to make around every turn. The choice of in who or in what do we invest. Think about this analogy for a moment with the farmer. The farmer just doesn't make a donation to the ground, right? Oh, I'm going to plant it right there and walk away. No, the farmer invests into the ground. He's making an investment. And the food that the farmer will receive will benefit others. They won't starve and go hungry. But also it will benefit the farmer. He'll be able to sell his produce and make a profit so that he himself will be able to carry on that lineage and that legacy. He'll be able to bring in an income. And so Paul is challenging the Corinthian churches and us to rethink our perspective on generosity. The gift that you give is not a donation to the church. Yes, the IRS IRS might say your gift is a donation to the church. But listen, it is an investment, an investment in the work of God's kingdom. Amen. Your investment will benefit others, but it will also benefit you. We're not just giving gifts, but we're sowing seed, and in good time we will reap a harvest. That image of sowing and reaping from Second Corinthians has often been mutilated by prosperity teaching, meaning that, oh, if you give more, you will get more, right? But that's not how God works. It's not about giving more. It's about just showing up and giving Jesus says that you should not store up for yourselves treasures where? You should not. Hold on. Ready? You should not store up for yourselves treasures on? Okay, great. You guys are following along. Because moth, moth and rust will destroy it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Because where your treasure is, there your... Amen. Paul says in verse 7 that you have a choice. We all have a choice. You must give as your mind has been made up. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We have a choice. We don't have a choice on whether or not we give, because that's a given. That's a command that God gives us. But... We do have a choice on how much we give. We are not free not to love. And we are not free not to do good works. The issue is not if we give, but how much we give. That's something that we get to decide. And Paul says, give it some thought. Give it some intentionality. Discern it. Pray about it. Paul says believers must do these good works that are generated by God's grace and God's spirit and bountifully poured out upon us as God's people. It's interesting that Paul uses the word cheerful to talk about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. There was a woman at my previous church that would say that all the time as she was carrying around the offering plate. And sometimes when it was a little empty, she said, come on, God loves a cheerful giver. No, seriously. Uh, Anyways, and then folks didn't come back to church. (laughs) But we as believers and as inheritors of the kingdom are free to determine what shape that good works take. We're free to determine what shape our love takes, but we're not free not to love. God is not going to reward us by showering on us materialistic things and individualistic things, fulfilling our wants and our desires. Rather, God is going to provide generously for all that we need. Not what we want, but what we need. Then you will have all that you need, Paul writes, and plenty left over. It's not that I can buy an even nicer car or lawnmower or tractor or house, but that I'll have all that I need for my basic needs. And then I'm called to be generous with what I have. Paul is reminding the Corinthian church and us that God is the great supplier and provider of our needs. In whatever circumstance, in whatever situation, look to God who will give you what you need. Do you remember Pastor Emily's sermon from last Sunday as we concluded our miracle sermon series? It was about the 5,000 plus people and how Jesus fed them. And in that miracle, Jesus provided the people with what they needed, right? Taking a few loaves and a few fish, turning it into a, a fully catered meal. It wasn't just a cool party trick for Jesus to enact, but it was a reminder of God's provision. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells and teaches us not to worry, not to fret about the things in this life, but look to God, look to Jesus, and he will supply us with everything we need. So what does it mean to have all that we need? How do we define that? How do we uh, do that together, collectively and communally? Because often we think about what we need as an individualistic thing, right? We often think that it's all about me, but individuality is not a kingdom principle, nor is it a kingdom investment that God is calling us to make. Paul talks about in verse 10 about a harvest of righteousness. And right before this, he talks about Psalm 112, which says this, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. 
And so when Paul is referring to reaping bountifully, it's not about reaping a materialistic or individualistic reward, but rather reaping righteousness. That's a life in line with God's grace and God's goodness, a life that glorifies God and a life that is always in worship towards him. So what does it look like to be generous? What does it look like and what's the command in the Bible, right? We often think about 10% of our tithe as our tithe or as our offering. And some people tell me as I've counseled with them over the years, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't say anything about that in the New Testament, right? What about other scripture passages that we tend to think of when we talk about a tithe? Is that still an expectation today? Is that kind of legalistic, Pastor? Come on. But here's what I can tell you. Biblically, theologically, personally, God calls us to be abundant, right? When I was young, I made the decision to to tithe, to give out of my allowance. I made it a priority. And when my wife, Alicia, and I got married, we made it our tithe and our offering and our priority to give to the ministries of the church. The ministries that spread the good news of Jesus Christ because tithing and giving is a proclamation that God is abundant and his grace meets our needs. Tithing transforms us. Giving is part of our Christian discipleship and it's one of the ways that we grow in grace and love and knowledge of God. Amen? Every year the church talks about financial stewardship and here we are again. We talk about our financial situation, the financial resources that God has entrusted us with. And I just want to give you a a warning in the in the mail in a couple of weeks, you will receive a letter about giving our stewardship campaign for this year, as well as an estimate of giving card. And I'm just giving you a warning so you can be on the lookout. I don't check my mailbox every single day. And so I want to invite you to do that. But as you receive that card, I want you to do as Paul commands and calls us to do, to think about it intentionally, to think about it cheerfully, to think about it thoughtfully. And on, and on Sunday, November 26th, we'll gather together here and we will lay them on the altar and give them as a commitment to God. A couple of things, though, about this letter and about the estimate of giving card. No one is forcing you to fill it out. It's optional. But we want to invite you to do it because we think it's helpful to plan and to be good stewards of all that God has given to us. You can fill it out on the card. You can get one today at the connections desk and you can also get it at the digital bulletin. But we want you to know that we do this not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. Amen. We want you to experience the joy of letting God speak to your heart and support the ways and the work that God is doing here through Ebenezer and throughout the world. And listen, if this is your first time joining us this morning and you're thinking to yourself, God loves a cheerful giver. He just talked about that a couple minutes ago. Oh boy, the church is always talking about money. But here's the thing. There's no guilt. There's no manipulation. Friends, we're here to talk about Jesus. Amen? We're here to talk about the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does. And we're called to be open and receptive to it. Amen? So yes, God loves a cheerful giver. But there's a lot you can tell about a church 
by the ways that they talk about their money. And so I want to invite you today to think how God is calling you to be a part of something greater than yourself about discipleship and consider whether God is calling you to step up in giving in this next calendar year. And in this next calendar year, as one of your pastors, I'm just going to share with you that Alicia, my wife, and I have decided to increase our giving by 10%. And I don't share that with you to gloat or boast or anything or brag, but I share that in full transparency. Because as one of your pastors, I strongly believe in the vision and mission of Ebenezer Church to transform lives through Jesus Christ as we connect and heal and bring hope to the world. I consider it an amazing, great privilege to serve here as one of your pastors. But more so, I want to live out more fully an attitude of gratitude. And watch how God takes that investment of sowing that seed and how it will grow into something I couldn't even fathom. Kind of like those green pepper plants, right? Those bell pepper plants, all from one package. And I had no idea. And yet they grew, and they grew abundantly, and they grew crazy. Because I had no idea how many different varieties were coming from one package. And friends, I recognize that it's not for everybody. That might not be an option. But we gather together in faith to do the work that God has called us to do. We gather to do what Paul has said, that we are to give thoughtfully and freely and cheerily and generously. We honor God when we give all that we are and all that we have. I want you to write down four things that Paul writes as principles this morning. That we are to give thoughtfully. That we are to give freely. That we are to give cheerfully and give generously. Thoughtfully, freely, cheerly, cheerfully, and generously. It's about looking at where we devote our time and our talents and our treasures. It's about looking where our heart is, where we are devoting that, where we are putting our money where our mouth is. But that's not what it's all about. It's about walking the walk and talking the talk, doing what Christ has called us to do. It's been said before that you could get a solid look at a person when they uh, pull your bank statement and your calendar. That's where they devote their time, their talent, and their treasure, where their priorities are. This means that our Christian character, our character and our actions should be like that of God's. We should be famous for our generosity. We should be famous for the ways that we serve God and serve one another. How we give to the poor and the needy, the least, the last, and the lost. And we should be famous for our hospitality and our willingness to share. And we are. But how do we continue that and make it all about what God is doing in our lives? My friends, in a world that is so ready to tear down and destroy, we are invited together to constructively build with God, to tell people about Jesus and share his love and his grace with others. Amen? Paul finishes this portion of 2 Corinthians with a doxology, a word of praise. He says, thanks be to God for this inexpressible, undescribable gift. The gift is Jesus. And the gift is for everyone. And that gift brings along with it hope and healing for a broken world. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus who conquered sin and death, we are invited into a fresh relationship with him. We are made righteous through Jesus. Amen.
Let's face it, sometimes we fail and fall and sometimes we just fall flat on our face. We struggle with things throughout this life and especially we struggle with sin. None of us are perfect. But the good news is that the gospel says that we don't have to be perfect, but rather that God through Jesus Christ has offered us forgiveness where we fall short and when we fail. That there is new life and life in abundance. My friends, we need to ask for an attitude of gratitude and walk in the way of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Giving him all that we are and all that we have. Our time, our talent, and our treasure, and that kingdom work that Christ has called us to. And just watch as God uses it and works through it abundantly, all for his honor and glory. Amen.